Welcome to season one, episode 17 of Digital Dissection, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties. Today, we're kicking off the most ambitious week we've ever had on the show, and we're covering the Firefly-verse in three full episodes. Today, we're joined by Jesse and Ricky D from the sudden but inevitable rewatch, a feature of the Twist My Arm podcast family. Our special guests are helping us break down the 2002 series that helped us kick off one of the best iterations of sci-fi ever attempted. But before we talk about pretty bonnets, cunning knitted caps, Capuson 38 Mark II engines, puddles of piss that won't pay us our wage, or the chain that I go get and beat you with until you understand who's in rut and charge here. We are Joe and Mark, two dudes who love talking about the Firefly-verse and spent over nine hours recording content about it for one massive special guest week. After you listen to the show today, please visit our friends at the Twist My Arm podcast. They've covered not only the Firefly-verse, but have also branched into the Mandalorian and plan to cover more properties in the near future. If you got here by accident, though, and don't know much about our show, try searching for us on all major podcast platforms by typing in Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast. If you're not following podcast websites, you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter by searching for at Digital Dissect One. Our social media sites share more pop culture news and current information, so feel free to join the conversation over there. We once again want to thank our friends Jesse and Ricky D of the Twist My Arm family and hope you enjoy a breakdown of the Fireflyverse. We're very happy that we can be joined by the Sudden But Inevitable Rewatch podcast as we're kicking off our Fireflyverse week here uh, on the Digital Dissection podcast. But how are you guys doing? We're, we're joined by uh, Jesse and Ricky. How's uh, stuff going tonight for you? Very good. It's been a good night. I'm excited to talk Firefly. Uh, good place to be in the middle of the week. Yeah, and I just like to comment and enjoy. I'm sorry, I got cut you off. You go ahead. Right in the middle of the introduction, say. I just ran right in there. <laughs> I'm in the I'm in the same boat as Ricky. It's been a great week. Um, it has been busy, but uh, I had my second shot today, so I'm hoping that when I wake up tomorrow, I won't feel awful. But if I do, at least I'll know I've got a great podcast in the can ready to listen to. There we go. Yeah, which yeah, I've been having fun with my students calling the COVID shots a software update because of the tracking <laughs> chips in them. I dig it. Yep. <laughs> So when jesse.exe fails, it will reboot eventually when the <laughs> software update takes. But I've been enjoying, uh, we're, we're doing this on video. Um, for, I mean, you can't see because it's a podcast. That's not how they work because, yeah. Um, all the nerd that's like in the background of everyone in this meeting, I've been really enjoying. Uh, uh, too bad I can't flip my camera around because there's much more in front of me than there is in back. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I purposefully uh, kind of block out what's behind me because like where my hands are, there's like three or four bookshelves just covered in, in nerdgasm over there. So, um, so yeah, fortunately, you don't have to see that. But, um, but tell you what, we were, we were actually just really interested in hearing a little bit more about the origins of your podcast because um, obviously, you know, hats off to you for, you know, talking to Adam Baldwin and that's a really just awesome, yeah. awesome oh, achievement incredible. for you guys. Yeah, so we were interested to understand a little bit more about your podcast um, and introduce you to our audience. So if you could give us a little bit of uh, background history. 
Well, uh, Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D, if I may. Uh, the way that this kind of all got started was um, my friend Josh. I've known Josh since we were, I think we decided six or seven, whatever age you are when first grade starts. Uh, so yeah. we met each other on the first day of first grade and we've been friends ever since. And um, so to be, you know, 32 years old with a friend you've known for 25 years is like mind blowing. Um, so Josh has been doing podcasting for a long time. He started the Twist My Arm podcast network. And so basically I had been with him on and off for a while and I was in an off point and uh, the pandemic was just, you know, getting ramped up. And uh, I had recently discovered uh, a renewed love for podcasts. So I had been listening to so much stuff at work with all the time that I had to listen. And um, so I sent Josh a text and was like, hey, man how's your podcast doing like do you I, let's do a podcast together again and he was like i that's so crazy i was just thinking about i'd like to do one but i don't know what to do i just i'm feeling you know i'm losing the energy on this one um mm -hmm. so i said okay well let's like let's do a bunch of research and like figure out how to actually make a huge show that's really popular you know like let's, let's do this the right way and so we did we went uh for like two months we just did tons and tons of research on how to build an audience how to you know maintain engagement that kind of thing um and so then we came josh texted me one i think it was a thursday and was like hey the mandalorian is coming out will you do a podcast with me about it tomorrow so that it's the same day it comes out and then i'll get somebody else because i know you're not a huge star wars fan mm -hmm. uh so it's like sure let's do a series on the mandalorian and we ended up calling it quest me because he's like, yeah. for some reason, he uses quest as like a, a verb in that. Like, I've been quested, right? Yeah. And so mm -hmm. we started talking about this show. And, you know, it's very cool in Space Western. And we had Ricky D join us as a, he was in our chat, our live chat for a long time. And then one day we were like, hey, man, put up or shut up. Come be on the show. And he was like, I'll be there. So we kind of adopted him. And he's been in our podcasting orbit ever since. I started out doing everything from my phone. I would just join in with the phone camera and the phone microphone. And now I've got microphones and speakers and preamps and all kinds of business. And his own show, Best Flicks with Ricky D, not to mention. But I kept pointing out these little things in Mandalorian where I was like, man, this really reminds me of Firefly. And Ricky D's like, yeah, definite Firefly vibes, very space Western. <laughs> and Josh kept going, yeah, I've never seen that. So we were like, OK, that's sort of a problem. Like you as a Star Wars fan should have seen that. Right. I think you should have seen that. So we're like, what's the next thing? What do we do when this is over? And where do we apply all this knowledge that we've gained through all this research and stuff? And I was like, dude, I know exactly where we're going next. We're going Firefly. It'll be called the Sudden But Inevitable Rewatch. We'll take you through it one episode at a time. You've never seen it. We've both seen it. We'll get your reactions. It'll be like introducing a friend to the show because that's literally what we're doing. Yeah. And it'll have that level of accessibility for old fans and new fans and people that have never heard of it or people that heard of it but didn't want to give it a shot, you know. So it's like it just kind of came together in this perfect way of like this is something that everybody knows the feeling of, right, is trying to get somebody you know to watch the thing you like and like it with you. I mean, and I had that same experience with the Pokemon movie and Mark. <laughs> um, yeah. I lost yeah, him. Like, believe it or not, he did not make it through Pikachu's vacation. Don't know why. Oh, well, about the original, yeah, the original, the first one. <laughs> the reason that th this happened, Joe isn't mentioning <laughs> the, is. the app. There, there's important information here. Okay, <laughs> Joe wanted me to watch this at like 3 a.m. and 
I'm like, dude. Yes. <laughs> what? I mean, come on. How am I supposed to stay up watching this at 3 a.m.? Um, yeah. it, it's it's just Pokemon Young. Oh, you'll be sobbing by 4.15 a.m. <laughs> oh, yeah. When Charizard <laughs> gets broken up. out of that weird furnace thing and get his head stuck in. <laughs> it sounds like Joe might be the Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky <laughs> D on your podcast. It could, it could be. It could be. And I hope yeah. we find that out as we as we continue on. Um, but it, that's awesome, dude. Like, I, I, I listened to um, like half of the season for, uh, you know, for your, your sudden but inevitable stuff here. So, you know, we, we don't want to necessarily rehash everything that you covered within that. Um, but at the same time, I, I think it is a good idea to, uh, you know, talk about Firefly as a property, because like you mentioned, Jesse, there's a chance that there are people out there that haven't watched it or, you know, maybe they're like me with the office and they just don't want to watch it out of spite. And you know what? That happens. Okay. Yeah, it happens. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, you know what? The one thing I want to talk about to start this off, as far as Firefly goes, is the fact that Fox just absolutely loves to fuck up shows. It's 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 just something their executives, they look at a show and they go, you know what? I love the idea. I love the actors. How can we fuck this up? Yeah, what it's an original concept. Hasn't been done before. It's brilliant. I fucking hate it. it. <laughs> One of my most exciting moments during this entire uh, our sudden but inevitable is the very first episode. We were talking about how out of order and how screwed up everything was. And I declared that Clay Aiken killed Firefly. I said it was all about American <laughs> Idol and these cheap shows that are easy, these mm -hmm. cheap reality shows. And those are going to those are taking over and Firefly just won't be able to you know run up against that. And then on our at our interview with Adam Baldwin. He said that American Idol killed Firefly, and I lost my mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, wait, Ryan Seacrest is the Grim Reaper. I think we all know this. The man comes on. He's way too handsome for his own good, and everyone dies as a result of it. <laughs> well, well, and I could understand, it, not to be, you know, and I'm not defending Fox, trust me, but like, <laughs> if you were, you know, let's say it was the Lifetime Network. And the Lifetime Network was like, I just Firefly doesn't really fit uh, with anything on mm -hmm. our network. I would be like, OK, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Maybe that see if sense. you can sell it to, you know, Sci-Fi or Fox or Hulu, you know. But with with Fox, one of the things that we got um, in it, aforementioned interview with Adam Baldwin, who played Jane Cobb on the television show Firefly, he was like he was very gracious about it he was like look the network went a different way they wanted to curate this image and you know mcg was very big at the time and he did a great job and it was like he's saying very gracious things and it's like as i was thinking about it though, i was like what image does did fox curate outside of to ricky d's point hey we're a reality competition network now so it's mm -hmm. like i like i understand that that doesn't fit but the other part of my brain is like shouldn't you want to have multiple audiences? Like we want the reality competition audience and the sci-fi audience, right? Like the, don't the board mom audience. TV? Yeah. yeah. The board mom network. audience is something to go up against. <laughs> well, well, and I mean, yeah. there's plenty in Firefly for the board moms, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, Jane I mean, alone. I mean, oh yeah. In all the main he, cast. He, he, yeah, yeah. The AB gets topless and like, you're not turning that off. Oh yeah, no one yeah, they're, they're popping those shirt offs like Matthew McConaughey. Literally anywhere he goes. <laughs> but but it, when you talk about audiences, though, guys, like th what's interesting about Firefly, I remember one of the earliest commercials for this show that I saw when that. And this is you know we're, we're dialing back 
18, 19 years here. So I had a lot more hair and, and people thought I was actually adorable back then. But when we think about the commercials, the commercials talked about Firefly as the most twisted new show on television. And the commercial was dubbed with uh, Smash Mouth's Walking on the Sun. And so I'm watching this going, all right, you know what? It's fine. Smash Mouth is okay even for back then. Like we still thought they were cool. But that was then the only time it was okay. For Smash <laughs> <Mouth>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you go Smash Mouth now, that's just that's questionable. You're you're losing your job. You even suggest it. Yeah. Well, here here's the, the rest of the, the moniker for the commercial, though. It says, What do you get with a cowboy, a space hooker, and a girl in a box? And then who's flying this thing? Like that's that's the the ad for the show. Hmm. I mean that yeah. that's that's literally what the ad for the show was. And they and the whole a girl in a box thing. There's like three commercials where they bring that up. You know, they're talking about River Tam being in a box, and I go, "This, this is like not even uh, like like a minute of content from the first episode no. that we don't end up also, seeing until the end uh, of the year." Uh, they yeah, yeah, they didn't show that scene. Like on the original airing, it was it was cut over for mm -hmm. time, and it was just like, okay. <laughs> I think yeah. they were just banking on the sexuality of a naked teenager in a box uh, that's what well, they were shoving down your throats in the commercials and that's what and, they wanted you to come for and that probably worked on a specific audience mm -hmm. for point. one episode right, or like, so well right but th that brought in the you know the middle school guys that were like what if star wars had even more bikinis in it and it's like the show really isn't that but if they mm -hmm. sell it that way i could see why you know 13 year old boys would be like cool i'm in but it's like i i, I don't know it, it I could see why they would sell it that way, but it just, to me, it just lends further credence to the idea that the network executives just didn't understand the show, yeah. right? Like oh, they were yeah. like, uh, here are the constituent parts. Uh, it's up to you to make those into something more. And it's like, no, 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 it's way more than that. And the whole thing is there. But when you pick it apart like that, then and yeah, it doesn't look like much. I, that, like, I'll be honest, if I were 13, that ad would get me to watch. If I were yeah. my current age, that would get me to laugh. Mm. So. Well, and, and it did. It definitely split people down the middle, you know, like an advertising butt crack. We've got people that go, OK, so this is a twisted show. And then they tune in and they're like, oh, I don't want I don't like this at all. This isn't twisted. You know, you, no. you got your leather daddies out there turning in. And they're like, yeah, this is not what I saw on that that <laughs> no. one ad. No, I uh, can't get off to this. This doesn't make any sense at all. Oh, yeah. This yeah, is I way can't... too straight laced for me. Yeah, I can't jack off to this. I do have a question though, because I think this would be an interesting thing. Uh, what do you think the most twisted show was on TV in 2002? 2002? Like, even would it have been? Like, I, I can't even think of something. Seventh Heaven? Well, oh, <laughs> really yep. fucked up show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like anything Holy that God. was marketed as like, this is twisted. Like, I, I, I can't even. Remember I think nothing's that. coming to mind. No, Fear um, Factor, Fear Factor, <laughs> oh, maybe. Uh, yeah. Mad TV because they tried being edgy. Were they even oh, there yeah. that long? Did they make it to 2002? Yeah, I think they did. They had I think to. They have. did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, it wasn't the uh, Millennium. The TV show Millennium was out at that point in time, I think, or maybe I'm maybe that was a little bit later. I'm trying to remember when that came out. No, no, that was earlier. That was no millennium was actually uh, mid nineties. So no, I, that's even before then. So yeah, I mean, I don't even know what else would be twisted at that point. I mean, yeah, seriously. It would and not network TV. Yeah. 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 Network TV. Which, nothing could be that twisted. Well, to no. be fair, mm -hmm. I find 
fear factor like no. deeply offensive like i can't <laughs> like, you, you're prostituting these people and you're pretending not to i just i can't deal with that show mm-hmm. yeah i mean uh, this is like this is just the whole reasoning for why you know firefly was destined to fail from the beginning right like so we've already got this mismanaged marketing campaign going on you know and the show hasn't even you know aired yet um but then we've got the friday death slot that fox just sends shows to to die yeah and i i just want to know if like an executive at fox found joss whedon in the hallway and just said you're breaking my heart and then kissed him and then <laughs> sent him away and it's like yep your show's gonna get canceled in a couple weeks here because because that's what it felt like from the beginning it's yeah like, you can't start a show on friday night with any real hope of it working that's where like your show has been going on for maybe two or three mm-hmm. seasons and things just aren't working out. And so you put them there. So, you know, you're, you're breaking up with them in a nice way without just like canning them before you even, they, they can write a finale. They at least know moving to Friday means this isn't working. Uh, but Firefly just started yeah. there. That's not fair. And it yeah, started yeah. there at a time when it wasn't like, it, it, there's, there was nothing else where people were like, you know what? I'm going to stay in because to that point, like our show, the sudden but inevitable rewatch has been live every Friday night concurrent with a pandemic. So we've had live viewers every night and we're also not a big budget, you know, television show, but it's like, they just put it in this spot. That's like, how many people are watching TV on Friday night? And that is the only part of their original stupid decisions. I think that makes sense when they went, okay, if it's going to be on Friday night, you can't have a two hour pilot. Like yeah. at least that mm-hmm. part of the logic is understandable. Yeah. But I don't forgive them for that no, still. No, no, no. <laughs> well, one of the things that I thought was just absolutely bad shit from the beginning was that the show almost didn't even happen because Fox was upset about uh Wash and Zoe being married. And really? Yeah. Is it interracial? Is that the issue? Well, I don't want to call the folks at Fox racists, but <laughs> They okay, so there, there was the a, first. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> th- there was a story about uh, about an executive and Joss Whedon, pretty much arguing with each other. And Joss goes, "Well, my show is going to have these people married. If you don't want them married, then don't pick up the show." So they th- thought about it for a little bit, and after a little while, yeah, they just decided, "Okay, he's not going to move on from this. All right, let's just let it happen." But funny now, story. Yeah. Let's put a show on Friday night right away. yeah 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 you can keep that damn marriage but you know what we're gonna fuck you from day one and and that's and that's a shame because as i have pointed out several times over the course of our rewatch zoe played just masterfully by Mm -hmm. gina torres is the best fictional cowboy character that there is in my opinion so like to to me for them to almost go you know, for this one petty reason, we're kind of thinking maybe no is like, I'm I'm so grateful that we got even as much as we did, because that to me, that character is up there in that pantheon. Like it's it's Zoe Washburn and probably John Wayne. <laughs> like, <that's it>. yeah. <laughs> and I don't really like John Wayne, but like, I get it. So, yeah, 
Well, John Wayne was basically just his generation's Nick Cage, if you really break it down. You know, he's a guy that gets into a ton of financial problems and then he's just making a bunch of shitty movies. Like, that's the same thing. I mean, yep. And then suddenly you're Genghis Khan so in the happy. desert. Yeah. yeah. Just wait. Nick Cage is going to have his name on the side of, a, of an airport at some point. You just wait. It's going to happen. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, to your point, though, Jesse, uh, yeah, Zoe Washburn, she's like one of the best characters in this show. I mean, mm -hmm. she's she's like act, like Gina Torres was like brilliant from her deadpan delivery, um, you know, just being a, a strong character. And yeah, dude, I, I I honestly don't know what a show would look like with her and Wash not being a couple. I mean, they balance each other out so well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Gina's so serious, essential. ass kickery, and Wash is playing with dinosaur toys and trying not <laughs> to get them killed by flying. Well, mm -hmm. it's essential to not only their relationship, but so many other relationships on the show. Like, that's your main source of tension for Mal and Wash. It's your main source of misunderstanding between, uh, like, any character that hasn't been there before, right? They're like, oh, is that, are they, oh, no, she's married to the, okay, like, so it's, yeah, I just, I'm lamenting that we could have had more, but I'm like super grateful that we did get what we got. Cause man, she is, mm -hmm. I, I said, I think the phrase I repeatedly always fall back on for her is she's just a vision of serenity. Like the, the grace and beauty with which she does everything despite being in chaps and holding a shotgun is overwhelming. <laughs> well, it, it kind of adds to a, a laundry list of things that Fox wanted to really screw up um, because they also thought that the show needed more violence, but not in the sense where it needed to be violent from every direction. They wanted Malcolm Reynolds to shoot more people. They just thought the idea of, of uh, Mal, you know, just delivering justice was uh, an image that needed to be all over this property. And honestly, I, I just want to know where he would have an opportunity to shoot more people at this point because he shot I mean, a lot of people. Yeah. I was gonna say. Yeah. He already did that. <laughs> it was well, kind of his thing. He could kill more people, but mm -hmm. I think that would change the character pretty mm -hmm. significantly. Yeah. Like he could have killed patients. He mm -hmm. could have killed Niska. He could have killed the operative. Like there's a lot of people that were threats that he could have chosen to kill and had the opportunity to kill. But I think the point of the character I, I, th I think for me, it's like Fox is always like, OK, so this is the Han Solo, which in this one case is fair. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's yeah. like, uh, no, this is the best possible version of Han Solo. This is Han Solo with like uh, a background and ethics. Like yeah. yeah, and logic and reasoning. Yeah. Like... Mm -hmm. And on top of that sharp wit, his moral compass is what really, like, you know, draws people to the character because he's supposed to be from, like, the eyes of, what, the uh, the central planets. Like, he was a brown coat. Like, he was on the wrong side of the war. He's more or less the bad guy who can't get over the fact that he lost a war. But yet he is such a well-morally grounded character where he shows and disproves that, like, idea of who he's supposed to be at every given opportunity. Yeah, yeah I think you, for me, yeah. that is always captured. I, I think it's the uh, train job episode where they steal some stuff and it turns out to be medicine for like the local folks. And the mm -hmm. sheriff yeah. is like, hey, so 
I recognize that you figured out what was going on and then you had a choice to make. So I appreciate you making the correct choice. And Mal basically yep. tells him there, there's no, no I didn't. choice. I believe to I did. Yeah. Uh, yep. That's that's just you do the right thing, you know. Now with Han Solo, I feel like he would have gone, eh, but I don't know. I haven't watched Solo <laughs> out of See, spite, as you mentioned earlier. So, well, that the, the thing you just mentioned about how there's not a choice to make here, I equate it to using your foot to press the lever in a public restroom. Okay, there is no choice. You do that every yeah. time. It's and It's the right it's, thing. Yes, yeah. it's what it's what you do. And like, mm-hmm. honestly, why do you, uh, yeah. Why do you put your arms on your chest and try to create a cup for water in the shower because you got it. <laughs> yeah. Do it every time. Yeah. Oh my God. It. Yeah. Well, the, to, to Joe's point, okay, this is something that I thought, I, I don't think people miss this, but it's something that I don't know if everyone really enunciates. Okay. And it's, it's how that sense of family that Mal brings to the team it's, it's not just family in the sense that, oh, yeah, I'd do anything for you, bro, you know, or, yeah, if you need five bucks, I'll lend it to you. No, what family really is on Firefly, it's about, let's just use the example of uh, when Kaylee is looking at the dress in the, in the shop window, and Mal makes fun of her saying, you, you know, why do you want to look like a sheep on its hind legs? That's what family to me is, is when you realize you made a huge mistake in saying that mm-hmm. it may have just seemed like empty words, but he comes back later and he apologizes to her and brings her the dress. Like to me, that's what the sense of family on Firefly always was. It's the kind of stuff that you and I would probably do with our own families where we know we fucked up. We did something stupid and we come back together later. And because mm-hmm. a lot they, of times on TV, yeah. They fight. Oh, they, yeah. They're a family. Yeah. They, they bicker each other. And that's that's like, it, it, I, I'm not to give you too big a peek behind the curtain or anything, but we always mm-hmm. talk about how we the crew feel like a family because of our our show and our fans that have supported us, and uh, you can hear it on the podcast. Like there are times that we disagree with each other because we're so comfortable calling each other out and just mm-hmm. being like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna poke at you for the sake of it, not because I'm actually trying to make a point now, but like that. <laughs> Kind of what I love about that crew is, is you know, I, I like to make the comparison or the contrast rather to the next generation crew where everybody's a professional and they all voice each other's opinions. And then they the captain goes, I've considered everything and I think this is the answer. This is more mm-hmm. of like I'm I will take all of your opinions into account and there's a pretty solid chance I will still disregard all of them, mm-hmm. but I will make you feel heard now as a as a new dad. You know, first, my first daughter is two years old. Um, so I'm learning that that um, family balance. You know, when do you take the family's uh, input into account? And when do you say, I hear what you're all saying. I love you. We're not going to stop right now. We're going to drive to the next exit and then we'll all go to the bathroom. Everything's going to be fine. You know, it's like because I know that they're comfortable enough with me to go, hey, if we don't stop now, there's going to be a problem. And I know they don't really mean that but they know that if they say it, I'm going to feel bad, you know? So it's like, yeah, I, there's dynamics there that I think really come across in the crew to your point that kind of don't come across in a lot of other shows, especially mm-hmm. even shows about family. Like that's kind of my, yeah. my biggest thing with current sitcoms is like, none of these families feel like families. They all feel like a bunch of very cool teenagers in the same high school, yeah. which is, is yep. fine, but it's not realistic. Like, no. hey. 
and that's why I think Firefly excels as a science fiction show because it's set 500 years into the future, right? But it doesn't feel that foreign to us because the issues of, you know, the, the quote unquote wild west that a lot of folks love to use to describe this show. The, the whole idea of Firefly is the fact that earth got used up and we had to move into other planets, terraform them and essentially start back over from zero. So it's interesting to think that some of the problems that, you know, we saw through, whether it's like through reading a history book or, or just some of the societal issues that you and I just mentioned with family and, and trying to navigate that together. I don't really think those things change that much in 500 years. No. And I mean, now I can even remember like, you know, being in a car with Mark and his family and he and his wife having this agreement and Mark just turns back and says, Hey, if you think you can drive this car better than me and Kate says, yes. And Mark just kind of waits there and says, well, you can't. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's good. But but seriously, though, I mean, I, I, I think that's what, I, once again, this is one of the strengths of a series that we only got for 14 episodes is that um, I, I think the, the issues that these people are going through, I just don't think they could be that crazy different from things we've seen either in our lives or or just some of this historical context that we have. But but ultimately, though, yeah, go ahead. To, to your point, Mark, the other thing is is that it's like, yeah, you have that, you know, the, the family thing that stays relevant and, you know, the, the difference is not going to be that much different in 500 years with, like, how people relate to one another. But I think the essence of what makes this show so relatable and recognizable as a potential modern future is the economics of it right because it's it's these people are constantly struggling economically and there are certainly the haves and the have-nots here and they're definitely presented oh, yes. in a very straightforward mm -hmm. you know wealth is bad you know scrapping is good sort of a thing um so it's and and i think that that's kind of like brown coat is the same as blue collar right like it's it's easy yeah. to see where people could identify with that on an economic level too and I think you're 100% correct to call out that the themes of the show seem to be where a lot of its staying power and strength comes from, despite being this tiny little temporary thing. Well, I think it's important to, to mention that for a little bit here, because, you know, that's that's one of the things about this series is that once once Earth got used up, we basically had these remaining superpowers. So we had, you know, essentially the Asiatic areas of the world, and then we had the Americas that, you know, were still there. So I, I thought it was interesting, though, that despite the fact that you see um, like Mandarin being spoken everywhere and a lot of these Asian influences, the future seems to be still very white, doesn't it? I mean, there's yeah. not a whole lot of... <laughs> there, was, <laughs> a... there was a lot of effort put into a lot of all of that background, uh, you know, make sure there's a lot of Asian influences, that kind of thing. And then just a whole lot of white faces. And two black assassins. <laughs> throughout it's the true. whole franchise <laughs> and very true. and like you have two characters in the main cast whose surname is tam and yeah. so the point Honky. that we brought up was like i could i could get if they were using it to be like no the point is that tam is like smith now right like the two, two cultures are so uh homogenized right that it's just everybody is is a tam now and it's it's you know but it's like that's also pretty clearly just an explanation for a very yeah. lazy attempt at not going out and finding actual Mandarin speakers. Cause guess what? That would make a lot of your translations probably way easier to get done. 
just a thought. <laughs> yeah. To me, it's like Khan Union Singh being a Caucasian, right? Like, <laughs> or like those, yeah. those, <laughs> that name doesn't really go together with a guy that probably uses the non dairy creamer, but you know, I whatever. Think, I think Ricardo Montalban can play any race. <laughs> 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 well, one of the things I thought was interesting about Firefly is basically the rise of the professional sex worker and, and how that became an industry because. Um, I know some folks have talked about before how, you know, Inara kind of feels like a Swiss army knife of intelligence and, and how would she get there? Like, how does this character, you know, get to this, this, this place? And so the, the, the whole idea of the companion, the, the quote unquote companion, uh, easier way of seeing sex worker. I, I thought that was an interesting take that they roped into this series that we've gone from, I mean, looking at these types of, you know, folks is, uh, I don't know, you see it a lot in these serial killer documentaries where the police are always dismissing sex workers, yep. but now we've completely flipped the script on this and they're respected members of society, you know, powerful. um, pow yeah, powerful, educated. I well, mean, it's, it, stylish. to me, I think that it's, it's, it's the, one of the more direct reflections that they put in of like the Western frontier, right? Because when you have the frontier towns popping up, that's, that's hard work, you know, that's going to need to be done by roughnecks and, you know, probably mostly guys. Cause they're going to be like, I don't want no chicks on my boat. So <laughs> when you have a whole town full of angry dudes who've been working real hard, as we saw in heart of gold, you, you gotta have the, the, the local entertainment industry has to keep up. Right. So, yeah, I, I think it's interesting that they went from, to your point, they went from we're always ignored to now it's been commodified. But I think yeah. it, it still doesn't quite reach that level of empowerment for me because of that commodification, I think, because it's like, yeah, you know, she has influence Inara has influence and stuff, but she's also still beholden to like the restrictions of the, the Citadel or the guild or whatever it is that she calls it. I think it's the guild. Yeah. And it's like, you know, so there's still somebody over her who's in charge of, you know, client lists or a client registry or something. There's still something going on there. And she still is too often reduced to the sexual prize, you know, for, for, atherton or mal ostensibly even though we know that's not the case but it's like i i i guess you have to give the series credit for making an attempt right yeah but if it were written now that wouldn't be enough she would need to be like oh i actually run the guild and the guild is only women and it's volunteer basis you know what i mean like it would have to be tweaked to to fit currently i think but i think it could be done i also think that part of inara's presence on the ship and in the show was kind of to bring a little bit of that asian influence in uh she's less like an american prostitute and she's more like a japanese geisha mm -hmm. so i think that was a mate a big part of why she had that role uh you know uh, maybe not why she had that role but it was just it was another little flavor of all of that going on in the background well and marina bakaran is Brazilian, I believe. So it's, you know, so, at least yeah. there was, you know, one actor that wasn't primarily just regular old school white on the on the main cast outside of Gina Torres, of course. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it was like she they really played up 
uh, Marina's eyeliner a lot. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of mm-hmm. lots of winged eyeliner looks and lots of flowing uh, Asian looking influenced gowns, things like that. Well, imagine how how we would have been talking about this differently if Rebecca Gayhart actually got the role or kept the role as opposed to yeah. Marina. I mean, it just would have been a whitewash role. Even, and it's like impossible almost to even think of it, right? Like to even yeah. really picture that, I think is difficult to do. And I think that's another testament to the creator of the show knowing, okay, this is 100% con- uh, contingent upon the chemistry of my bridge crew working yeah and if that doesn't work the show will not work so you know at least he was able to recognize that right away but that was a question that i asked on our first episode was like oh is her uncle like the main programming executive for fox and he was like oh you got cut on the first day honey (laughs) well what was the name of the show like yeah Yep, let me let me hit that cancel button as soon as I can, honey. We'll, we'll get it figured out. I, and I don't know. I don't know if that connection's there. Um, but you know what? Obviously, that element didn't work. That's why she was gone. That's why they, they moved her out of there. But what I think really worked well in this show, uh, just to kind of dig into the plot and, and hopefully help some folks find this show that didn't, is the fact that we're immediately introduced on this show to the unification war or the mm-hmm. civil war of the the independent planets and then those that are fighting for unifying this you know uh, unidentified universe that we're you know playing around in right. and and uh this this war would only take about five years so in in the realm of wars it was a pretty uh that's not bad for a galactic war. war really like there's a lot of distance <laughs> to cover in that five years when they what they don't have faster than light travel do they i don't remember them having that i, I don't know yeah, if they do like, there they are so yeah war scale that's much closer to to civil than yeah. galactic mm-hmm. i think <laughs> yep yeah yeah well it's just an interesting setting to kind of uh drop people into here um, because, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, we don't have sci-fi in the sense that we're kind of used to seeing, mm-hmm. uh, technology kind of hits a point and it still remains somewhat believable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I thought the unification war was a really interesting place to begin with there because even just in the, in the, the group that's on the firefly itself, um, you know, obviously we've got Mal and Zoe who are brown coats, um, who are the, uh, the 57th overlanders, the fighting 57th, as I like to call them. Um, and then we've got some of the other folks here on the ship that, you know, actually believed in unification because, you know, Inara actually thought unification was okay. I mean, um, I know in one of the, uh, one of the commentary tracks, uh, Alan Tudyk says that he thinks that Wash would have been a pilot in the war but he would have been a POW yeah. right away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I thought it's a really interesting uh, backdrop and mm-hmm. it also kind of helps continue some intrigue with Shepard book throughout the series. Um, so the, the late Ron glass, of course, played, uh, you know, Shepard Daryl uh, book who had probably the most layers outside of, you know, river Tam. Um, and so I, I honestly really miss uh, Ron Glass just because he was a very, very uh, sweet man, um, great actor. But um, yeah, I, I always wanted to dig more into his backstory. I'm not sure if Dude. y'all had a chance to do that. Uh, I have a little bit, and I was going to say it has been answered 
-hmm. but you have to kind of dig into the comic books and do a little extracurricular research to figure out what went down with him. Yeah. Wasn't there a novel written about his, his life before shepherding? Yeah. There's a graphic's tale and it's, it's, uh, I believe it's one of the newer ones. I don't remember if it's boom studios. Um, yeah, but they, yeah, I, if I may, for just a moment, his performance throughout the series, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not going to say that it's on the, the level of Patrick Stewart's Jean-Luc Picard, but it approaches that level of like essential, I don't know what the word is, essential soul, right? Like this, mm-hmm. that's the soul of the show is this character who has clearly been on both sides of the law and who clearly yeah. understands the virtues of both of those sides and who clearly makes no distinction between, you know, what man calls law and what man calls unlawful. For him, it's all about what is actually right and what is actually wrong. How you get there is, is you know, your journey. That's what it's all about. But he just, I really wish that we had gotten a scene of him confronting the operative in the movie Serenity mm-hmm. because... Oh. The scene in Objects in Space when Early yes. steps over him and just goes, shepherd. that ain't a shepherd. It's like, yeah. mm-hmm. oh, this is the last episode. Why are you doing mm-hmm. this? Yeah. I also, I think that Shepherd Book had some of the most genuine interactions and relationships with the other people on the show. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, you know, he had a very intense relationship with Jane and mm-hmm. with... Inara and with Simon and River and it it was almost as deep as like Wash and Zoe or Mal and Zoe but he mm-hmm. had that with every single person he he really, he, does, really yeah. he could see them and he knew what they needed and he knew mm-hmm. it was just he was such a good character to interact with the other people yeah and being able to do that with Jane alone says something Jane <laughs> yeah. is a very very intense character uh, I know I, I've, I've enjoyed listening to actually like your discussions on him and how Jane like you kind of question like was this a smart move made by jane or uh like is jane dumb or like no not really jane is he's a man of instinct is is what he is um and a very very honest outright character who you may not understand right away but the more you kind of like spend time with jane the more you understand him and why he does the things that he does and again i don't think anyone other than shepherd really takes the time to do that in the crew so my mm-hmm. ideal, like, ultimate speculative, if I could write a scene for season two of Firefly, um, it would be some situation where Jane is hanging off the back of a ship and they need to lose some weight. And the only person <laughs> there to pull him up is Shepard Book. And Shepard Book looks him dead in the eye and says, I know what you tried to do to that girl and her brother. And then it just cuts to black and that's the end of season two. I think that's because I I really feel like given the opportunity, Book would take the same steps that Mal would take to protect the people on that ship. And given the opportunity, Mm -hmm. I think he sees Jane as the biggest threat to the security of that ship. So, Well, you know what? For the folks that... Um, don't have the time to read the the shepherd's tale. I actually have, and what I want to do is give a little bit of a content warning here. Okay, 
So for those of you that don't want to hear this part, um, we'll probably get, <laughs> I'll just give you a warning right now. Uh, this is a very, very big uh, unveiling or reveal on Shepherd Book. So his real name's not Daryl Book. His real name is Henry Evans. And very early on in the war between the independents and the what would be the future alliance, okay? Um, Henry Evans was brought in to basically be a mole for the independents. And what they wanted to do was have someone who could enter the alliance's operations and infiltrate it at a very high level. So Henry Evans actually got the name Daryl Book because he literally killed someone with a garret wire in an alleyway whose name was Daryl Book. And he used that moniker uh, his entire time the rest of the way. So he ends up being a mole within the Alliance for many years. Um, not the, the Alliance never figures out that he is secretly screwing up all of their operations, you know, for, for years. Okay. Well, it finally comes to a head um, where Shepard Book or Henry Evans ends up being responsible for the destruction of one of the uh, Tohoku class cruisers. Okay. So the city cruisers that we see. Mm -hmm. The IAV thousand people. Well, this would be a smaller one, actually. Um, this one had four thousand people on it, so it was the the IAV like Alexander. Yeah, and and so I don't want to give away the entire plot of that story, but yeah. Long story short, the whole reason why he even goes to become a shepherd is because he feels so much, you know, just internal strife for the deaths of these four thousand people. Yeah, that he finally decides. Okay, let me go. Let me go hang out at the Abbey for a little while and figure myself out. Um, and that also explains why he's got the Alliance uh, ID card that we end up seeing in the series, and mm -hmm. he gets the much-needed medical attention for it. Um, no questions. But it's asked. one of those. Yeah, yeah. No questions asked. But yeah, it, it, the, the the whole plot thread though of the Alliance finding them in space and everything. It it makes me realize that this universe of theirs that they're in, even though it's vast to go from end to end, it really is one of the smallest universes I've ever seen on, in a sci-fi, mm -hmm. you know, uh, sci-fi property. Um, cause you mentioned patients earlier, you know, they hadn't done anything with patients in a while. The, the, you know, the, the, uh, firefly team hadn't. So it makes you wonder, okay, well, how many jobs are these guys running if they, you know, haven't run into patients in that long? Cause they're not in their fifties. They're still fairly young. No. So, and when you're when you're talking to like the uh, like the small size of the universe, um, I think the even like the opening of the movie Serenity does a good job of showing like how small the verse is and how much of a control the Alliance can have on it, because they do a fun job of you know the whole the universal sign becomes the Earth and we have people leaving yeah. the Earth, and then the whole thing actually turns into like a lesson that River Tam is going under, uh, which is like within the mind control thing. And you have basically yeah. just the Alliance's side of the war, and that's being told as absolute truth to all the children. And you see yep. all the kids absolutely eat it up as like, yeah, I can't believe like the uh, the people on the outskirts would ever not want to like be you know um, enlightened by what we have to offer. And it just doesn't make any sense at all. So you see that like one, your ability to just make the people believe that. Um, which you would think like on a, on a galactic scale would be a little more difficult, but at the same time, it doesn't seem to be in this universe. Like you have so many people who just buy into that the Alliance was right um, in this series and in this movie. Much of yeah. writing history is choosing what to leave out. I think mm -hmm. that's how the operative puts mm -hmm. it. Yep. 
Yeah. Well, and and part of the the history of the alliance is also controlled by uh, just the the resources and who had them, right? Because the mm -hmm. alliance was the alliance basically pulled in all the resources that they could with the planets that were you know basically DTF for this unification. And uh, part of that, though, part of that unification and giving a face to it was the Blue Sun Corporation. So, have you guys seen the? You know the blue sun food and the blue sun drinks and the t-shirts they're all over advertisements the show mm -hmm. yeah 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 uh they're all over the the universe and so kind of like taco bell and demolition man you know blue <laughs> blue sun controls everything yeah yeah there we go <laughs> i have a blue sun shirt upstairs but i'd wake up half my house to go trudge to get it but uh but blue sun yeah blue sun controls so much of this uh, of this struggle, right? Because the central planets, they, they've got their shit together. They're having a grand old time. And then you've got the outer rim planets here um, that don't have access to, you know, the, the blue sun funding or, you know, their cheap, their cheap food or whatever you want to call it. So that's why they even have to rely on people like, you know, the, the crew of Serenity or yeah, the crew of the Serenity, because that's the only way they can keep on living. Um, so it's kind of a, it's just an interesting balance that even after unification and the terraforming efforts that they did, uh, these people on the outer rim, I mean, they could disappear and, and seemingly no one on the central planets would give a shit. And not to bring it back to the same point, but it's, it's the economics again, right? Because in the, in the West it's, it's how they're using the economics to paint this as the West, because, you know, when it was happening in the United States, all of the money was concentrated on the East coast and those guys, you know, just lived a nice life and stayed home and everything was cool. And they would send explorers out to the West, you know, and, the, yeah. and sometimes those guys wouldn't come back and they'd be like, oh, we did send somebody. Wasn't that wasn't that like five years ago? We should probably check on him. Like, <laughs> so it, it 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 I feel like the economics are the the main thread that really give you that sense of frontiersmanship and you know, the struggle on the edge and, you know, scraping to get by and that kind of thing. We actually have a bingo card for our show that one of our listeners made and they play live along with us while they watch and Ricky D smacks his camera or microphone. Is on that <laughs> bingo card. So if you're a sudden but inevitable listener and you have your card with you, go ahead and check that box. I hit the whole <laughs> desk this time. <laughs> but yeah, they yeah. go, you know, leather, handguns and economics i mean i'm glad they didn't call it that but i might call the next season where we watch firefly again that <laughs> yeah there you go and now it's recorded so you can always come back to this as a as a footnote if you need to um yeah well that's what i found funny about uh the blue sun corporation is that um yeah they're they're basically a food distributor and producer but at the same time they send out these uh these humanoid like robotic uh killers right with the, with literally wearing blue gloves and we only we see them in the comics we see them in a couple episodes of the show and i mean they're they're basically killing everything between them and the tams i mean it's it's terrifying to think that uh, uh like a, a conglomerate that's just trying to keep people fed is also experimenting on humans and and doing these horrible things right it's it's one of those threads that I thought was uh, it was just unfortunate that it got such little amounts of airtime. Well, and it's 
I think that those little seeds of like, you know, living without a government and capitalism is bad and, you know, just the government in general is, is not good. Um, I, I know those seeds are in there and a lot of fans really latch onto them. Um, but I, I was always sort of of the mind that he was trying to paint a little more complex of a picture than that. Like, Maybe in season one, those are all the feelings that we would get through Mal's lens. And then maybe in season two, Mal starts to understand the intricacies of, you know, interplanetary economics. And he's like, well, maybe they're just maybe there are good people in that corporation and they just they have a boss they can't stand. Or, you know, what I mean, like they would have thrown some some little more subtlety and I think more facets to that character into the show as it went along. Mm-hmm. But I don't, it, it's, it's one of those things like you could, you really could point to any aspect of the show that you love and go, what if we had had 30% more of that in the show? Like, would, would that make the show better? Or like, can I just have one episode that's focused on that? Cause it's, it's, and I think that's, you know, obviously that's the beauty of the show is that it exists in its own entirety as it is. Mm-hmm. There are still 20 years later, there are still new fans coming to it going, man, what if they did make another season in it and that they could do this and they could, and, the, and these people are coming up with stuff that I never came up with or, yeah. you know, that we haven't seen in the comics yet. And it's like, I just, I, I really think it's a testament to the strength of the foundation of this show. Chemistry yeah. plus space Western equals success, I think. Like, I don't know that you could point to that equation anywhere and show it as a failure now that I think about it so I yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I miss it you guys I miss fire <laughs> <laughs> well mm-hmm. I, you know what that that lends us kind of to a good point here though is to talk about some of the things that we didn't get to explore that we wanted to see I mean uh, I guess off the top of your heads here is there anything that that you didn't get an expansion on that you really wanted to. And, and we'll maybe try to stay away from the movie, right? Just a little bit because they mm-hmm. do explore some things, but, but just within the show, anything there that you wanted to see more of? Well, I, uh, we just mentioned avoiding the movie, but a lot of questions get answered about river and her abilities and all of that in the movie. But I still think there's just so much more that you could dig into like that. River was such a great character and the way her brother loves her and mm-hmm. her, you know, not only her, the uncovering of her abilities, but also how she struggles with socialists and all those things. I would love to see more out of the River Tam and Simon Tam story. So maybe even more from uh, the academy that she attended where they did all of the, you know, the Alliance based experimentation that we see a little bit of in the movie. But... Right. Yeah. Um, I would love to see, you know, obviously there were terrible parts there, but they were also trying to build her into something. So there must have been some good moments when she was stuck at that academy, I would assume. And it would just, yeah, yeah like River Tam, the early years or something. <laughs> yeah. That would be really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Episode one. Uh, yeah, there there was a, a, a brief moment in the comics where they they talk about the first student of the academy named Silas. And Silas is just like this, this superhuman basically. Um, and this guy actually ends up killing one of the, uh, 
the blue gloved people. So they had a, a female, like there's a, a pair of two females that were like, you know, the blue glove folks. And then there was the, the male pair that we saw in the show. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, part of uh, them, like part of the Alliance wanting to get a, a grip on Simon and, and river was based on river's relationship with Silas. And so that was one of those things that I was like, yes, I desperately want to see more of the rest of the Academy. Um, Cause I'm just assuming that river wasn't the only experiment. Obviously we got this Silas character, but yeah, there's, there's so much more there that I would have loved to see discovered beyond just what we got from the film. Um, but Jesse, what about you? What, what are you, what are you pining over, over there? So I didn't bring this up on our episode where we covered the movie because it was specifically, I guess you could call it a partial spoiler for some of the comics because So what I was doing as I went through this, um, when you start a Firefly podcast, you get a lot of Firefly stuff on your social media. It's really weird. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No idea how that happens. Yeah. So but my goal was like, okay, I'm uh, like I've heard comedians don't watch each other's sets. Right. Because they don't want to accidentally like steal a thought process subconsciously or something like that. So I didn't listen to anybody else's podcast. firefly content i didn't watch youtube videos i didn't read the comics i didn't do any of that stuff because i was like i don't want to have somebody else's idea and then be like hey i had this idea and have it not be mine yeah um but that happened anyway so what i came up with was i think the best coolest evolution for the, the malcolm reynolds character would be next season or the season after is have somebody from the alliance show up and go hey you're Malcolm Reynolds, right? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, dude, we have been after you for so long. I can't even tell you, but we have uh, an even bigger issue with this guy, Niska. He thinks he's like in charge of this whole sector. And we'd actually like you to go pick up him as a bounty and bring him in. And then Mal, through having left Niska alive, somehow convinces him, hey, come with me on the ship. We're going to go do this thing. And then he just drops him in a prison. And Niska's like, I will get you, Malcolm Reynolds, you know. (laughs) But but then they go, hey, you're pretty good at this. Do you want to be a bounty hunter? And then Serenity becomes a bounty vessel. It's sanctioned by the Alliance. They're looking for criminals. And then now Mal has the morality play of is what this person has done that they're being hunted for bad enough for me to bring them back? Or do I go, Oh yeah, he slipped my, he slipped my grasp right at the end. You know what I mean? Like it, you get to keep a lot of that same what's right and what's wrong dilemmas for Mal. Plus you put the character in a position where you never thought you'd see him, which is taking money from the Alliance because they're going to pay better than smuggling jobs. Right. But now he's yeah. able to, hey, maybe now he's able to upgrade Serenity and we get a refit on the ship. Maybe the ship gets some weapons. Like maybe we just fix everything that's broken for now. Like, I don't know. You know, it, there's a lot of stuff that I think could have gone so, there could have been so many ways to go with it outside of, you know, mal good, government bad, this, that, and the other thing. Like, they set a lot of that up in the first season because it's one season of TV that was supposedly supposed to set up seven seasons, Seven, right? Yes. So yes. I could see where you would focus heavily on your themes right at the start. That makes a lot of sense. But I think that one of the, one of the dangers that people can fall into with the infatuation of this show is that thing of like, Oh, the show wants me to hate the government and the show wants me to hate capitalism. It's like, yeah, not necessarily like, 
the show is presenting those as complex concepts to you and showing you some characters have different justifications for feeling the ways that they do about those things. They're not showing you, you know, I don't feel like the writer is specifically trying to say, here's exactly how I feel. And if he is, mm -hmm. then that's lazy writing. But I don't think he's doing that. And I don't think Firefly was lazily written personally. Maybe lazily and, and casted. <laughs> well, and I agree with you, though, to, to an extent here, because the Alliance doesn't actually get portrayed as being inherently evil. It's certain aspects of the of the shadow leadership of the Alliance that you have to worry about. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's kind of like that idea of... Uh, you know, of, of destroying two Death Stars with a bunch of people on them. Like, <laughs> you just murdered millions of people that some of yeah. these guys are just doing nine to five and they're like telling honey, yeah, I'll, I'll pick up some blue milk on the way home. Exactly. And, and so the Alliance to me was kind of like that. You've got these, like once again, the Tohoku, you know, uh, city ships, you know, like you've got, like, you've got all, all these families and stuff that are probably living on those. So, the Alliance to me is, uh, is, is that nine to five for the majority of the people that we see from the Alliance. Um, and yeah, there's some dicks along the way. There's dicks in every, every company. So, you know, that's going to happen. Um, but you know what, one thing I wanted to mention about uh, an unexplored plot thread that I really wanted to see, and this isn't meant to be a pun. I wanted to see an episode where we meet Jane Cobb's mom because yes. you know, I want, <laughs> I want to see the lady that makes those, those hats that, a man that wears would not be afraid walking down the street, you know, not afraid right. of anyone. Okay. I'm going to let's you guys, if, if you're cool, let's all pick the actor for the part. Okay. So since there's no restrictions and it'll never happen and none of us have any power, I think it would have to be Kathy Bates. That's just <laughs> me. <laughs> oh man. Who would I cast? Just a minute. I'm trying to find the name of this person. <laughs> Who would I cast as Jane Cobb's mom? No, it's, couldn't you not seen her? Jane, get your ass back in here, boy. Like it, it would just, it would fit. I mean, it would be easy. It would be the easy choice, I think. But I think it would fit. If I could have picked Katie Seagal as, as she's aged today, Oh. For for then, I think I I would have been interested in seeing that dynamic. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent, That's a good pick. one. Very no yeah. nonsense. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, strong matriarch. Yeah, I yeah. Dig that. Yep. And like uh, I could see her like having like a, a fourteen inch knife on the mantle, but then also you know sewing a new hat at the same time. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, her her times as as an old lady for a uh, motorcycle club definitely set the tone for that. <laughs> so if i were going to pick somebody to play jane's mom it would be darlene cates you probably know her as the mother on uh what's eating gilbert grape in that mm -hmm. movie but i don't remember the mother she was she goes by mama bit of a she portly woman else oh <laughs> they had to Poor they would have to get a crane to get her out of the out of the house um i think was at one point in time <laughs> He's being very political in his description of, of her size, but <laughs> um, but yeah, honestly, she she would. I mean, I think I could see that too. Mm -hmm. I could see that working out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I personally, uh, I'd go with Jessica Walter. God rest her soul. Oh yes, yeah. the late mm -hmm. Jessica Walter. Jessica Walter, oh. uh, especially her. Uh, basically, uh, if you if you ever watched Archer, I think if she would channel Mallory Archer and basically all of her decisions. Yep, that's Jane's mom. 
it would be great to find out that Jane's mother sent him away. Was like, <laughs> yes, you are too much of a screw up. Get off my homestead. <laughs> I'm, I'll still send you a care package every once in a while. Like, just mm -hmm. get out of my hair. And then he goes back and he's like, hey, mama. And she goes, what are you doing here? And then Mal's like, <laughs> not a happy family reunion, huh? And and then we could do the credits, right? I just, yes. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So much, you guys. Mm -hmm. We got we to gotta find Firefly fan scripts and do table reads of them. <laughs> oh, yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is. There is one very dark element of unused uh, Firefly script that um, I, I always bring up with with fans, and that's uh, Anara's. Uh, you know, like like I, I don't know if you want to call it like a like a death catheter, um, but there is an early early script that they they just kind of threw out that involved the Reavers, and the Reavers were supposed to actually assault Anara. And you actually see this in, um, I think it's the first episode where she shows this little, like, it looks like a flute that's in a, a little box that she's looking at when, like, threats is imminent. Well, this little flute that she has, you insert into uh, the female anatomy, which I, I, I think we can get what I'm going with here. Mm. And it's actually like a poison stick that poisons whoever has sex with her. Wow. So the idea that Josh... That was made for Reavers? I guess yeah. Yeah, this is, this is for, yeah. This is Joss Whedon. Welcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is Joss Whedon at work here. So this was an unused uh plot thread though that ultimately <clears throat> she was gonna be assaulted at some point and this little, you know, death uh I guess if you want to call it like a a birth control death stick of some kind. A literal claptrap, if you will. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This was supposed to be a plot thread. I'm not saying I wanted to see it. I'm just no. mentioning it right now since we're on the unexplored plot threads. Mm -hmm. Um this Someone put that on things. paper. That was that was apparently a good idea. I, um, so, but interestingly, though, I could see where that evolved into Yosef Bridges' lipstick. Like, I could see him yeah. going, like, she's got this like actual poison inside her body, like, and yeah. they have to like do her to get it. And somebody was like, "Dude, what?" And he was like, "I mean, it's like lipstick." And when when she kisses them. <laughs> And they were like, oh, okay, yeah, that's way less weird. Let's do that. Like, yeah, it's like, like a poison ivy thing. That makes way more sense. Yeah, it's the yeah. same principle, right? You use the body as as your defense and your and your offense, but it's way less icky. That's yeah, yeah, that feels real joss to me. Um, yeah. The other one that I always see brought up is, uh, I believe he said that Inara was supposed to have a terminal illness. Yes. Um, yes. From the start of the show. So part of her saying, you know, okay, I'm leaving now at the end of the first season was because she knew she was getting closer to dying and she didn't want to be around when that happened. Um, yep. And I feel like if you watch the show with that in mind, it actually makes a lot of her scenes make a lot of extra sense. You're like, oh, I can totally see that being the subtext here. So it kind of makes me wonder if he didn't tell her like, hey, we're not going to explore this this season, but your subtext here is that your character knows she's got a ticking clock. And to give the most, you know, elegant, beautiful, wonderful character on the show, a giant dark cloud also feels very just to me. So, yeah. Yeah. And then and then just like a good Tommy Wiseau plot thread, it, it disappears in the movie. <laughs> it's <gone. laughs> yep. it's, it's definitely cancer. Oh, wait. Yeah, no, nope, it's gone. We're good. So she knows how to use a crossbow now. No big deal. Nope. Yeah. And she has one. <laughs> and then she just gets mad and trashes a room for no apparent reason. 
I well, really loved Tommy that. <laughs> you know, the, the question I came in with when I when we, you guys agreed to come on, I was really interested in your thoughts on. Let, let's just say, if we could, if we could revive the show, what are your thoughts on a revival of Firefly? Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D. Would you like to go first? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, my personal thoughts are there's no way that you could redo, uh, you know, remake this show and have it be this incredible tiny little package that we, that it exists as now. It almost, it's like we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. If we do go that route, uh, I could see some kind of animated version. That way you have a lot of the same, you're in the same universe, but it feels distinctly different. That would be helpful for that. But as far as a live action remake, we've got two of the actors that have passed away since then. So there'd be recasting. Uh, and it's just the show as it is, as tragic as it is, it's this beautiful, perfect little package. It's 14 episodes, one movie, and almost everybody that gets involved with it absolutely loves it. And if you restart the series, if you, you know, either, you know, maybe go off in a different direction and don't even have the same characters or whatever, it just, it wouldn't, it, it would, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It would make it, it would sully it. Mm -hmm. It's not like trying to make Dread 2, which should have happened already. But yeah, yeah, we should be on part three, yeah. by the mm -hmm. way. Um, but, you know, I, I agree with you, though, to an extent there, because um, I, I think the animated route or some of the route the comics went down, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm really interested in the space between the show and the movie or maybe even some of the, the things that happened um, before episode one. Right. Like, l let me just see how these folks continue to live like that's that's. We, on other shows in this podcast, we talked about what keeps us coming back to sequels. And it's not because we think that sequels are always necessary, but it's just fun to see what our favorite characters continue to uh, do. It's because it's guaranteed money for the well, studio. Yeah. yeah. But that's why it's guaranteed money is because people like to go see something that they're familiar with. I can mm -hmm. agree with that. Yeah. And, and that's where it comes in for me. I, I just like to see what the characters continue to do, especially if if maybe you want to uh, disclose like personality traits or, or maybe something about a character that you just didn't have time to expand on. And we've talked a little bit about some of that today. Um, but I, I think that's where if they, if they were going to continue to expand on this or build out more stories. Yeah. I think an animated or, or comic thread would make far more sense than another live action interpretation yeah. for sure. And we actually asked Adam Baldwin about that. You know, what would you think about an animated series because then you don't have most of the constraints that you would have if you were doing a live action series you don't have to worry about the age of the actors you don't yes. have to worry about you know uh covid protocols you don't have to worry about people getting hurt doing stunts any of that kind of stuff you just tell the story and you tell it with familiar voices and i i think that could be huge and he the adam baldwin said he thinks it sounds like a no-brainer but he did also reiterate the point that Ricky made, which was the show is a complete thing. And mm -hmm. you could argue it's pretty close to perfect uh, if you leave the movie out, in my opinion. Um, so <laughs> it, 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 for me, it would have to be animated. I want it to be full on anime because that to me is the essence. There's your Eastern and Western 
culture mix right there. Mm -hmm. It gives you your new different feel, but it's characters, you know, voiced by the actors that, you know, for the most part, you could have book just be silently badass the entire series. In the first episode, they go, they have Mal go ever since book took his, you know, oath of silence, he sure has been working out quite a lot with Jane, you know, (laughs) they've showed him working out with Jane before and they've showed him make vows towards stuff. So it's like, man, they could, they could make that work so well, or they could have it be a running gag. Every time Mm -hmm. he goes to say something, something explodes or somebody cuts him off or Jane cuts him off or river cuts him off and says what he was going to say, you know, like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many ways that that could be made really good, I think. And I really feel like with as much time that has passed and with how much just radiant love there still is for this property, you could bring in a team of creators that understand the soul and the essence of what this show is and you know you know sure put one of them in charge have one person be in charge as a liaison to the cast to go hey does this feel right to you guys we don't want to, we want to give you input on the feel of the show maybe not necessarily script control that would be insane but like if yeah. they were telling you know just acting asking the actors hey does this feel like something mal would do I, there's no chance nathan fillion goes i don't know you know it's like he's he, they've all embodied those characters enough i think and we know that they love the characters enough to want to come back. So I, I really feel like, you know, put it on Netflix, give it the same studio that just did Castlevania and give me that super high quality, very high frames per second, very fluid anime. Give me all the stuff I love from the series. Give me River's very um, signature like tripod move where she holds herself up in a hallway. Yeah. Give me Vera animated. You know, <laughs> show me Shepard Book's hair pop up because he took his ponytail out. Like, yep. I want to see Mal turn and I want to see that duster fly, man. Like, there's so much in the visual language of the show already. It's begging to be turned into a beautiful, ethereal anime in the vein of a Cowboy Bebop, in the vein of a Castlevania. These high quality shows really understand what it is that the audience wants from them. <laughs> It's, well, it's, that's what the show was made as. And I think if you were going to jump back into it, that's the only angle to approach it from is that angle of love. What, what I actually would like to see is a video game in the in the same realm as two is the 2009 Ghostbusters game, because you've got people who would obviously jump at the chance to play the same characters again. Um, you could continue to world build and you've got a great playground to work with as well so my I mean, thing there is that i if i were gonna guess i would guess that the painful additional cancellation of the mostly finished firefly online game for which the i know <laughs> yeah may, may have gotten them to the point where they're if you know if somebody comes to them like hey we want to do a really cool firefly video game they're going to be like yeah we've heard that one but yep before. thanks mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wouldn't I wouldn't blame them, honestly, but I feel you 100 percent. Give me I I I would go uh, to your point very heavy on the narrative. Make it like the Witcher, right? Like you're playing this character, so you can't just do whatever you want. You have to do what that character would do. It's a very guided RPG experience. It's not on rails. It's not fully open world, but you feel like you're Malcolm Reynolds. I'd play the hell out of that. Oh, yeah. 
I totally. I'm kind of feeling like a Star Wars Galaxy MMO would fit kind of interestingly. It wouldn't. Yeah, I don't know if it'd give us all the storylines, but oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I mean, I I think what 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 a good thing here just to point out is that obviously Firefly and Serenity has a it has a, an earned presence in sci-fi, right? I mean, that's that's my big takeaway from this is that, um, you know, when I first watched Firefly, because um, I didn't watch it when it was on TV, of course. You know, I was drinking Surge and, and playing uh, Gauntlet Legends until like 3 a.m. <laughs> so I, I was yes. not watching this show on a Friday night. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, I, I just think that for people who haven't seen it, like my wife had not seen the show until we got together. And when she saw it, she went, why didn't more people watch this? Because it's, it's not just good sci-fi. It's just a good show. Mm-hmm. And, and so I thought that for a 14 episode, you know, uh, property like this, um, I think it did more for sci-fi than, you know, than geez, almost the, I don't know, maybe the 10 to 15 years uh, before that point. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. I would say that and the matrix were just i mean those are the seminal works of that age of those what was that like three years right there mm-hmm. 99 to 02 right like because yeah. everything that came after that was okay it has to look like the matrix and it has mm-hmm. to be snarky and hilarious like firefly right like we don't get the ryan reynolds deadpool movie if joss whedon yeah. doesn't make firefly right like we need the wise cracking shit talking anti-heroes that we can actually still get behind you mm. know for that to show up like i and you know and then of course the matrix everybody just was like how do we do that bullet time effect and most people failed at it but it's yep. but you make a really great point mark that it's like you know there's it's it it was it was truly seminal and it was kind of uh what's the word i'm looking for it it, it was an original thing in a time when the other original things were fast car TV show and yep. reality competition TV show. So yeah, give me space Western out of that list all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, tell you what, I wanted to end this episode on going back in time and looking at what people said about Firefly when it first came out. Now, have you guys dug into any of the the original thoughts on this series? So the only insight that I have into that, and I'm not saying that I, you know, like this isn't enough because this is the insight that I love. So the, the way that our show got connected with Adam Baldwin was through two of our listeners uh, who were actually extras in the movie Serenity. And oh, cool. they ended up being in that movie because they were very, very active on the old boards the original firefly fan forum on the fox website when the show was running (laughs) and they actually met you know producers and cast members on the forums and stuff like that and so when we started our show these two ladies found us and they they were like hey you guys we are all about being brown coats we would love to bring you along and bring you into the circle and so one of them rosie sent me I think she sent me like 15 pages of notes from back in the day that she had kept 
here's we went to this convention we met the crew outside this restaurant we were at this bar we were at the brown coat backup bash we went to this bar for a drink and we you know watched the show with the crew and stuff and then all these photos of them at conventions with the with the crew and like you know hanging out outside restaurants and just having drinks at bars and stuff i'm like oh my gosh this is this is so cool so i get all of her real-time reactions when she was you know experiencing all this stuff and then same with our our other shepherd we call them shepherds they're our biggest supporters uh susie who actually did connect the interview for us she just she called me one night and was like hey i've been talking to adam baldwin do you want to interview him he wants to talk to you guys and i was like what (laughs) are you kidding me like so the the connection that i have to what people felt when it was first on is mostly through them and through my dad, who is like, I swore I made you guys watch this. And I'm like, I, I know that you made us watch the movie, but I don't think we watched the show with you. So I, I remember people being all about it, but I don't remember any specifics. I would have been in, I think I was a freshman in high school or maybe eighth grade. Ricky, would we, we would have been freshmen, right? In 2002? Yes, freshman. Yep. Yeah. Did you, did you know anybody in school that was <clears throat> like, dude, Firefly? Not Firefly, but uh, I did see the movie Serenity in theaters. That was like 2003, 2004, five. Okay. Uh, And I went with, you remember John, you lived with him. I think he got a bunch of us together to go see it. Because I remember seeing it with John and like Nathan and Curtis and those kind of guys. So, but none of us knew what we were going into except for John. He was talking up the movie. He's like, this is amazing. And everybody else is like, yeah, you got to go watch something on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. You guys have kind of mentioned a little bit of everything here because some of the reviews that I dug up on this were kind of all over the place too. So one of the, uh, one of the oldest ones I could find actually called the Firefly series a supermodel waiting in a bus stop. And... <laughs> And I was like, you know what? That's that's a really good way to put it because in in the realm of sci-fi, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, it makes a it's ton of sense. It's overqualified and stuck taking the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, made sense to me. But then in the and then the exact same thread though, someone else called it forgettable, incoherent, and more of the same of what we've gotten in sci-fi. So I'm guessing that person had a methane leak under their house. How do you um, know the word <laughs> incoherent? but you can't understand what's happening in the show. Like, yeah, yeah I had the exact, my reaction was this person's just an idiot that doesn't like any of these shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, how do you know the word incoherent enough to use it in the correct context, but not understand what's happening in Firefly? Like they're all five. They're, they're like three syllable words at most. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I don't know. That's why Joe and I have done this before. We've looked at reviews of other properties from the internet and we just go, I'm just going to shut my brain off and read these things. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one that I'll, I'll read off here, though, is this one. It says, this is an amazing series. All the characters are so well-developed, it's hard to pick a favorite, and you care about each one after just a few episodes. However, I would not recommend letting your kids watch this with you the first time. I think this is a show. Best watch with mom or dad, fast-forwarding past a few of the most iffy parts and discussing <laughs> the show with your kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, be aware, they do make up Bible verses, but it always seems to be the bad guys that do it. Oh, no. Sick burn. Um, Yeah. yeah. On that fun vein, though, like they're talking about like getting attached to the characters. If you could sit down or like have a, like if you could have one character in the show as a drinking buddy or someone you're going to pal around with, who would it be? Um, 
Easy answer is Jane. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the easy answer is mm -hmm. Jane, right? The, yeah. the, the, what do I, how do I write down what I heard and turn it into money answer is Shepard book. Oh, uh, I, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I was going to say Badger, Mark Shepard himself. I'd want to hang out with him just to see how once he gets his ass kicked going to bar to bar. <laughs> I, and, I, and I'd like to bring this back up. They should have had him in the movie. They should have oh, put him in the movie mm -hmm. instead of Mr. Universe. David Crumholtz, I mean, he felt natural in that role. Mm -hmm. I, we, I've mentioned David Crumholtz in, in a couple of their episodes. I mean, it, he's not out of place. He mm -hmm. definitely feels like he should be Mr. Universe. So yep. I thought he was fantastic doing that. Mm -hmm. Well, and I didn't, I, not to get into it, okay, because it's not my show and I don't want to do that again, but uh, he, it, I didn't have a problem with the actor and I still don't have a problem with the actor. The only issue I have with the character is that we got it in place of a character we knew. So that yeah. that was my biggest mm -hmm. issue with it. It's not like, you know, this whole thing is crap. It's just like, I, I wanted Badger. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, fair enough, man. Um, well, I'll tell you what, I, you know, as a, as a party note here, you know, interested to hear about what's next for you guys. Um, I know you mentioned you've got some episodes to come out, but um, what else have you got working on right now? So the next piece of Firefly content that we have coming out is actually going to be a special episode of Best Flicks with Ricky D, with my friend Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D, where we cover the <laughs> documentary uh, Done the Impossible, which is yes. about how the fans, including the aforementioned Rosie and Susie, who featured in that documentary, uh, including them, helped get the movie Serenity made. Um, so we're going to talk about that uh, with the crew and I'm, I'm really, really going to push to get some input um, from Susie and Rosie on that. They're both very busy ladies and, you know, very generous with all of their love and time all the time. But if we could get them to sit down with us for that episode, I think that's going to be our goal. We don't have a date planned for that quite yet, um, but we are on hiatus for another two and a half maybe three weeks so on june 4th season two will begin and season two is called the sudden but inevitable rebop and that means we are covering cowboy bebop so we, <laughs> yes. <wanted to> find, <laughs> we wanted to find a show that fit with the aesthetic of firefly and that keeps all of our show's core themes together which is sharing something you love with somebody that you love that they have never cared about before. And there are multiple layers this season because both Josh and Ricky D have never seen Cowboy Bebop and are not anime fans. So we've got a double platter of crow waiting for them at the end of season two. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really, really excited for that. Now, there is, um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the network that we are a part of, the Twist My Arm podcast network, which is run and created by my friend Josh, who's our Firefly first timer, along with Kylie. Um, we're planning our first ever podcast network convention. And I say it that way because we've never done that before. And we're not 100% sure what that means yet. But it's basically like a big independent podcaster brainstorming session where we're going to go, hey, what worked for you guys? What hasn't worked for you guys? Here's how, and, and this is our pitch, you know, for Sudden But Inevitable. If you haven't listened to Sudden But Inevitable, please go listen to it. We went from zero to a thousand downloads in about a hundred days. 
And part of what we're going to talk about at TMA PodCon is how we did that with our show. Not because we're the authority on that and not because I could guarantee you that I could do that with any show, but because it happened to us and we would like to offer any help that we can to other indie podcasters because I'm sure, Mark and John, you guys know, getting your name and your voice out there as an independent content creator can be difficult. So if there's anything that we can do to show, you know, here's what worked for us, what worked for you. And it's not just us. We've got Pixie from Next on Stage One. We've got Aaron from It's a Fandom Thing. We've got Cameron from Green Shirt. We've got Sean from Cheap Seat Reviews. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that are going to be involved in this. And we're talking all aspects, audio best practices, social media engagement, how to keep your audience once you've got your audience, you know, things like that. So if you're interested, just go to twistmyarmpodcast.com. You'll get a pop-up right away. Um, twistmyarmpodcast.com is actually the easiest way to get a hold of all of the shows on the network um, because we're all there. We all have our own page and it's all central in one location. You can also watch our live streams and listen to our episodes there. So it's definitely the easiest one-stop shop for everything. And beyond that, I just, I can't wait to jump back in you guys. Like I, I, I want to say thank you because I haven't been on a podcast for like two weeks and it's kind of killing me. Yeah, it's 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 starting to hurt. Like, I'm texting the group every couple of days, like, "Hey guys, what are we doing tonight?" And like, does anybody need graphics? Can I do a voice? Like, what do you need? Can I get a voiceover? You know, so um, really excited to get back in. And I want to say thank you again, you guys, for for having us on because it it's I've had a great time and I've been really I really enjoy being able to talk about some of the stuff surrounding the series that doesn't really fit with the experience of introducing two first timers to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah we're going to bring them through episode by episode, but we might not talk about the themes of the series at length because we got to get to the next episode. So thank you yeah. so much for this opportunity. Yeah. You guys, I've had a mm-hmm. blast. Yes. Yeah. Dude, Joe, Joe and I were kind of like, we were both kind of uh, foaming at the mouth when, when y'all were interested in joining us. And so we can't thank you enough for, no, for taking the time. Seriously, this has been absolutely amazing. And I'm just happy we had some, some big fans of the show too to share it with. So once again, thank you so much for that. Thank you, Jesse and Ricky D for helping us dissect 14 episodes of the Firefly verse and the impact it had on modern sci-fi. If you like this episode, please pay our friends a visit at twistmyarmpodcast.com and make sure to check out their companion shows, quest me and the sudden, but inevitable rewatch. As we mention often, please comment, subscribe and leave a review. Not only does it warm Joe and I's heart, but it apparently also works in tandem with Al Gore's rhythm which we don't understand, but apparently is important to independent podcasts like us. If you're wondering where our journey across the verse is headed next, we're dusting off our musical knowledge, or lack thereof, and breaking down the musical scores of both Firefly and Serenity. Our friends, Chris and Leslie of the Measuring the Score podcast, join us to interpret the major differences between the TV and movie entries in the series. Until next time, which is literally only two days away. Keep on dissecting.